0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. That would be me, Jason Davis, Soccer Morning. Here we go, worldsoccertalk.com. It's a Wednesday. And I'm sure you're feeling good. Uh, I'm sure you're ready to, to, to go downhill towards the weekend. I'm sure you're getting yourself worked up for MLS Cup Final, which happens on Sunday. I'm sure you're ready to take in all of the soccer news today. And guess what? This is a big one. Big, big show for you today, a double dose of guests, two very good ones. Patrick Golden from Massive Report in Columbus will join us in the next segment to talk about the Columbus crew and their march to an MLS Cup final, hosting that game at Crew Stadium. Sorry, sorry, Maffray Stadium, Mapfre Stadium, Mapfre Stadium, Maffray, however you say that. Well, maybe we'll check with Patrick and get the final definitive answer on how to say the stadium name. And David Cartledge, our good friend, who covers Spanish football, will join us as well uh at nine forty AM Eastern time, which I hear is the is never mind. That's that's a something else. We'll talk about that later. Pa- uh David Cartledge, Patrick Golden, two good good guests lined up. We'll get into that uh we'll get into that momentarily, and then after David, perhaps we'll have some time to take your phone calls. As well on a Wednesday morning, let's hit the news. Let's go. Let's start with Ivis Gullersepp of Goal.com reporting that DC United will trade midfielder Chris Pontius to the Philadelphia Union. Excuse me for allocation money. Pontius spent seven years with United after being drafted out of UC Santa Barbara. He was named a an MLS Best Eleven player in 2012, also an All Star that year. DC United. Also reported to be on the verge of acquiring Lamar Nagel from the Seattle Sounders. It would seem very clear that Lamar Nagel is meant as a replacement for Chris Pontius. Chris Pontius' salary is kind of out of control. Uh, I have to go check on it. It's not a small number. Uh, makes you wonder exactly what the union see in Chris Pontius, although perhaps a, a change of scenery will do him good. Injuries have been his major problem over the last couple of seasons. Big news in California. Yesterday, the Sacramento Republic uh, have announced uh, a new stadium plan, put out a new website. It's very pretty. Lots of very nice pictures, uh, renderings, stadium porn, as you will. Uh, The same day as a city council vote happened, a unanimous city council vote to approve the preliminary term sheet for the $226 million stadium project. The term sheet is not binding again it is preliminary but it does serve as a good faith agreement should mls decide to award a team to sacramento uh remember sacramento has been trying and trying and trying this is part of operation turnkey which was their uh their name for the plan to get all of their ducks in a row so that when mls said yes you they would be ready to go get that stadium underway and be ready to enter mls in short order Sacramento, again, this is not a matter of deserve. That's not how MLS is looking at these these things. And we do have some comments on uh, um, from Don Garber in an interview with Grant Wall over at SI.com. Um, when it comes to the expansion situation, let me just quote this because it does include, obviously, a mention of Sacramento. We remain focused on trying to close a deal in Miami with David Beckham and his partners. And before we can do that, they need to finalize the stadium plan. This is all about... The ongoing problems in Miami with David Beckham. So the question for me is not, does Sacramento come in before Miami? It's more, how do we get Sacramento into MLS? And I have enormous respect for the Republic and their owners and everything they've done and the municipal support that they have. I don't know what else you can do if you're, if you're Sacramento. You got, you're ready. It's just a matter of MLS pointing at you, uh, saying, come on down. French Prime Minister Manuel Valls says Kareem Benzema should not play for France. Benzema. Is implicated in that blackmail scheme aimed at France teammate Mathieu Valbuena, Real Madrid manager Rafa Benitez. On the other side of things, has backed Benzema, saying that the striker is crucial uh, to Real Madrid uh, as they move forward. Obviously, a big player scores lots of goals for them. Of course, he is uh, very valuable. Valls at the uh, on the um, on the other hand, pointing to character issues with uh, Karim Benzema, questioning whether or not he should play for France. Authorities are investigating Benzema's role in the blackmail scheme, but he is yet to be found guilty of any particular wrongdoing. At the same time, uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Prime Minister's comments, Benzema's lawyer has come out. Is is, Is it the supporter of Barca or the Prime Minister who's spoken about a leading player of Real Madrid? More seriously, I'm surprised in the dramatic context in France. Obviously, I'm talking about um, the terrorist attacks that the prime minister of the Repub- republic might give an opinion in a very preemptor- uh, preemptory man- manner, excuse me, on a matter that he knows absolutely nothing about. I think he has other things to deal with. Um, that look, that there's some truth to that, but clearly, uh, what the prime minister is saying is that uh, Benzema does not represent the values of France and blah blah blah. This is politician posturing. I'm not sure the uh, lawyer needs to be worried about it that much. Capital One Cup quarterfinals. Got games yesterday. Uh, have one game today. Manche- Manchester City took out Hull 4-1. Everton beat Mil- Middlesbrough 2-0. Go back and, uh, watch that goal from Dela Feo. It's fantastic. Stoke 2-0 over Sheffield Wednesday and Southampton hosting Liverpool today to determine the final semi-finalists in the, uh, Capital One Cup, uh, for 2015. Remember, it's a tournament that, uh, yeah, I guess people care about Copa del Rey games today. I didn't have this in my rundown, but I'll just mention that Barcelona and Villa Novense. Say what we'll just will say we'll go with that. Villa Novense, which may or may not uh, game that may or may not include Lionel Messi. I saw a report this morning he may not have trained with Barcelona ahead of that game, but of course it's early stages of Copa del Rey, probably not as much uh pressure to play Lionel Messi uh for uh for Barcelona. And finally in Spain, Gary Neville has been named head coach, manager of Valencia until the end of the season. This comes as a surprise because there was no indication at all that the job might go to Gary Neville. Phil Neville has been an assistant at Valencia since the summer. Neville replaces Nuno Espirito Santo, who was fired just this past weekend. And What's interesting for Gary Neville is that he leaves his job as a Sky Sports pundit, uh from Monday night football there in England but he does stay on with England as an assistant coach. So this is um this is a risk on the part of Valencia, it's a risk on the part of Gary Neville. It's certainly a risk on the part of um a, of of a club that needs experience and and is hiring somebody with zero. Uh and and I don't know why Phil Neville gets left out in the cold. There was rumors that he was going to take over or at least be a part part uh, a shared caretaker uh, with Valencia until the end of the season but uh, that has not come to pass so we will talk to David Cartledge about this development who is coming up on the show at 9.40 a.m. Eastern. In the meantime, before we get to that MLS is the topic. Patrick Golden from Massive Report will join us. Let's talk Columbus crew. They're in the MLS Cup Final. They're hosting it. It's a sellout. Big time in Columbus. We'll talk about that. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we are back on Soccer Morning. It is MLS Cup week, or at least the lead up to the MLS Cup final on Sunday. That game is set for uh, Patrick Golden is on the line. Patrick, before I introduce you, how do you say the name of the stadium?
1: This Mafray Stadium.
0: Mafray, Okay, so the game is set for Mafray Stadium on Sunday. Uh, it is a sellout that has uh, that has come out that report. And to talk about that and the Columbus Crew season to this point, Patrick Golden from Massive Report joins us now on Soccer Morning. Hi, Patrick.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me this morning, Jason.
0: Thanks for thanks for being here. Let's okay. Let's. Besides the name of the stadium. Muffray, M- M- okay. Well, besides the name of the stadium, Patrick, um, I think the biggest story right now is is log or what are we calling this? Uh, the, what are we calling this controversy over the Portland Timbers and Timber Joey? Uh,
1: I, I don't know if we've even had a chance to come up with a name. No logs allowed. Log gates, uh log rolling. I'm, I'm not particularly sure, but uh, all I know is that uh, it's it's a uh, Caused a little bit of a fire uh, on the internet last night and kept me up late uh, keeping track of it.
0: Now, it's, it's funny. You, you do have a posted master report. I'm looking at it right now about this very topic. Now, for anybody who doesn't know, the Timbers wanted to bring the log. They wanted to bring Timber Joey. This is a, an MLS Cup final, it's their first uh, appearance on this stage. And and the crew said nope, you're not doing that. This is our stadium, our house. We have rules, and you're not going to be able to break them. I have no problem with the crew putting their foot down. If this was a neutral venue situation, even if the game was at mafray Stadium, and and the crew just happened to be an MLS Cup final, Patrick, that would be different. This is this is a crew game, a crew home game. They have every right to say no.
1: I agree. Uh, you know the
2: uh,
1: you know the Press America report last night. Said that, uh, you know, the, the timbers were looking to bring, uh, a log from Oregon and, and it kind of popped up, uh, late in, on the East Coast here, in the Eastern Time Zone here. So, you know, there were several fans and I saw it on Twitter, some of the people that I follow and, uh, kind of, you know, uh, was, was looking into it. And then, uh, amazingly enough, the, uh, director of, you know, stadium operations, Dan Lawley there, he, you know, he, he tweeted at uh, one of the, the people saying, Hey, you know, this is against policy. Right here I screenshotted it. Uh there are there are no chainsaws and no uh logs of any wooden kind uh allowed in Mafre Stadium. Um I don't look at the stadium policy list all the time. Uh so I can't <laughs> tell if they were there before, say,
3: you know,
1: eleven PM last night. Uh but <laughs> you know the, the I I I think there's a little bit of fun with it. Because, you know, maybe it sits in the parking lot if, the, if they're bringing over a log and it sits in the parking lot and, uh, you know, it adds to the atmosphere, that's fine. But, you know, inside the stadium, you know, okay, maybe in Portland, but uh, here in Columbus we have our own traditions and uh, that's what we're going to do.
0: Yeah, it's funny. This, this whole thing played out at the Grey Cup up in Canada not that long ago. I guess the... Ottawa Red Blacks do something similar with a logging team, and they were not allowed to bring their team to the Great Cup. So, uh, this is just uh, that's just a, a, an aside I'm I'm going to throw in because I think it's it's humorous. All right, you know, logging, uh, uh, you know, logs and chainsaws and Timber Joey aside, this is obviously a big deal for Columbus uh, for this team, Patrick. Um, they won one MLS Cup back in 2008. They went to LA to do it uh this is different it's a, it's a it's a different era of m l s it's certainly a different team and a different feel. How big of a deal is this i, I
1: think it's really moving the needle in this town um you know columbus been to m l s cup in two thousand and eight winning m l s cup um, you know Scalotto, uh, the, that that era of the crew uh was was a fantastic era but um you know the it never really gained the traction that it did um so far under Anthony precourt era. there's been a lot of changes uh, on the team with Greg Berhalter taking over at the end of the two th- uh, 2013 season. You know, uh, pre-court buying the team in uh, July of that year, and things have really started to evolve. That there's a lot more um, awareness of the team within the city, and uh, you know, we had uh, five sellouts, I believe, uh, maybe five sellouts in the regular season uh, in. May set an attendance record for for a calendar year uh, for for the team, and it, there's really kind of a buy-in from the city, and so MLS Cup landing in Maître Stadium, um, you know, in, in early December, uh, it, it's just nuts, frankly. Uh,
0: the game is a sellout. That's what I've heard. I imagine there's a secondary market. Is is that driven by ticket resellers scooping out tickets, or is this all an organic uh, interest in in Columbus?
1: Well, I, I think the secondary market, there's, there's a fair bit of, of resellers there. Um, you know, the, the, the prices are skyrocketing. You'll see groups of tickets where it's like eight together and people are selling off eight tickets. You know, that's not a case where one of my buddies can't go. So I'm going to put it on StubHub. You know, the, 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 organic market, what I've seen is that, you know, it's, um, you know, I've had a couple of people even post uh, on comments on the blog. I've seen it on Twitter. You know, I was like, "Hey, I have an extra," or "Hey, do you know anybody that has an extra?" And, and it's a little bit more organic that way on StubHub and some of those types of markets. You know, you know, those are the resellers, and you know, they'll you know they'll they'll, they'll do their business. But I think that the, it's going to be a decidedly uh Columbus crowd. It's going to be people who are invested in the team because you know that that support has really grown in even the last year and a half, two years.
0: How much do you, of that, do you attribute to pre-court then? I mean, uh, he came into, you know, he came into ownership of the team. He, he did, uh, you know, he, he did a good thing by taking, um, one of these teams off the, the hands of the Hunts, who, uh, also have FC Dallas, obviously. Uh, we went through the process of what, you know, imagining what kind of changes he was going to bring. We've seen the rebrand, at least in terms of the, the logo and a tweak of the name, but he hasn't made, fundamental changes uh, you know obviously you give him a, a, a good rating he, he's done good he's done uh, you know positive things so far
1: oh it, it's been outstanding uh i will say this uh, hunt sports group i think primed the pump uh, i know quite a few people within the front or, uh, front office part of the organization and a lot of those people will date back to you know the, the the hunt era this isn't a whole new front office and they were making good strides. Uh, you know increasing uh you know, the, the the presence within the community increasing uh commercial activity and increasing the the season ticket sales however uh precourt's taken that to a whole new level uh the The crew have a a president of business operations and Andy lockney who you know the guy's a deal maker he he is locked down stadium meeting rights for stadium at the time was you know sixteen years old mm-hmm. uh for the first time ever you know Cruise Stadium became Moore Stadium you know an insurance company that's uh, based out of Spain that's the that's the funny name but they have an office in Columbus and it was kind of built out of you know running up the chain and and the the right people are in the right parts of the organization and a lot of that is is pre-court really investing in the right parts and and finding the right people and that goes to the the guy who runs the soccer operations Greg Burhalter mm-hmm. who's he he's been evolutionary as well, you know. I, I think you mentioned pre-court really hasn't torn things up and changed a bunch of things, and you know, still the same stadium. There's the rebrand, but that's more of an evolution, you know, changing the logos, but the colors the same. Uh, and and I, I just think it's the right people in the right spots, and it's really paid off.
0: Yeah, a lot of this comes to it comes down to uh, to Berhalter on the soccer side, and 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 it, we saw the we saw the beginnings of it last year. I mean, we saw what he was trying to do. We saw what this could be, but the the I remember consistently last year talking to guys who cover this team, Patrick, and every time we talk, they need a striker, they need a striker, they need a striker. I think Adam Jardy, that was his regular refrain every time he made a Soccer Morning appearance, and then they went and got Kai Kamara, and, and now they have their striker, and look where they are.
1: It, it you know it's it's really been a process. Uh, you, you look at how he built uh, how Burhalter built the team last year. And you had a lot of people, you know, Ethan Finley was, uh, under the, the previous regime, but you know, he never really flourished. Justin Miram, Federico Iguin, Tony Chani, you know, uh, Will Trapp made his, uh, his first appearance in the 2013 season, but Burr Halter was able to take those parts and put it together. And, and it started to make sense. And it's not that Ty Kamara necessarily fell in Cruz's crew's lap, but, uh, you know, it, it, the right place at the right time. And the guy has been a revelation. You know, I I know they're making an MVP announcement and gosh, it sounds like uh Javinko up in Toronto, but you know, you can make a strong case that Kamara is the guy that, you know, really turned, you know, Columbus from, you know, a second tier, you know, playoff team into an MLS cup contender, Mm -hmm. you know, without him, without 22 goals in the regular season, that defense Mm -hmm. a little leaky earlier, You know, you you see Columbus falling towards the back of the playoff pack.
0: Yeah, let's. uh, I want to come to the shift in their defensive uh, fortitude here coming up in a bit, Patrick. But before we get to that, in terms of the big picture, and again talking about the uh, the enthusiasm for uh, for Crew SC within the the city of Columbus and 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 what PreCourt has done, I've had people come to me, and and this is why I have you on the show because you'll know and I won't uh, whether or not this means anything for. You know, on the stadium front, whether or not there's a, a future outside, away from from Ma, Ma, Ma Stadium, and then whether or not this means anything for the TV situation, which I know still has people frustrated.
1: So, uh, the, the 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 stadium for the foreseeable future, I, I don't see Christie leaving Maffre Stadium. Uh, there's been a, a decent amount of investment to make the stadium. A better and more attractive property. Uh, everything that I've heard from from te- people in the front office is that that's the home for the crew uh, for Crew FC for the foreseeable future. Uh, the political environment in town really isn't great to to kind of move on, on the stadium front. The Columbus Blue Jackets hockey team and uh, the the state uh, the the arena board that uh, does Nationwide Arena where they play. Uh, renegotiated and, and, and changed things so that the, the, the stadium board, the arena board, pardon me, bought out the, you know, it, has been a political nightmare. So I don't think, uh, politically it's feasible for Columbus, uh, for Curious to really be looking for a new home. Now, uh, it, as far as, you know, other parts and, 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 uh, there's definitely energy around that.
0: Uh, in terms of the television?
1: Yes. Um, the the television, they're keeping a tight lid. Okay. Uh, okay. But I, what I have heard is that uh, uh, in talking with Andy Lockman, the president of the crew uh, see on the business side, he has said that uh, what they did last time, they won't do again. Um, they're not going to lock their fans out. Uh, you will be able to watch the team on TV. It won't be a case where, you know, people are upset and And frankly, it's hard to see this team right now on t v unless you have Time Warner cable uh which is not you know it's it's about fifty sixty percent of the city and uh that's just not good enough
0: no certainly not all right so so we come now to you know uh, two thousand fifteen and what they've done now. You know, beating the Red Bulls, uh, that's, that's, that's a pretty big deal. And they, and they staked themselves to that two nothing lead. And again, so much of what they've done in this playoff season so far, Patrick, is about the, uh, is about the defensive strength that they've suddenly shown. And this is a team that, that did, was giving up a lot of goals, uh, through, through a good portion of the season. What, what, what accounts for the shift in your mind?
1: Well, I, I think it's a lot of different factors. Uh, the, the, this team really needs a strong midfield to, to perform well defensively. And Will Tramp's concussion and him being out until midseason uh, weakened the defense. Uh, Mohamed Saeed is, is, was his uh, stand-in, but he's more of an attacking player. And, you know, the, the defense just wasn't a stout. There was uh, more things getting to, at that time, Emmanuel Pogatetz and Michael Parkhurst in the back line. Steve Clark was 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 facing better shot. Um, you know, th- they moved to Tyson Wall and, and, he, and he he performed adequately, but you know, he he's a, an MLS journeyman and really wasn't the stout defender that they had but Gaston Saro has been um outstanding. He's uh, he's a bulldog back there. He's a physical presence. He's uh towering with uh with you know, physical presence that uh, he, he gets the headers he you know he's mobile he can step up into the midfield if necessary you know as, as the in the playoffs he picked up three yellow cards uh so he actually was suspended the first leg of the red bull series and uh so he he adds a little bit of metal that that maybe that defense didn't have um you know i know Pogatetz has has the reputation of a physical defender but he, he wasn't quite as mobile and so if i have to point to one one thing especially over the playoffs is that uh, Gaston Saro really stepped up and, you know, Burhalter has, has evolved his plan so that, you know, he he now takes on the team that he's facing, which really makes Sunday that much more interesting since both teams have their philosophies, both teams have their styles mm-hmm. and, and, and there's, they match up well. So uh, I as a fan uh, as somebody who watches this it, it's it's great to see.
0: It's going to be fascinating. And and I and I definitely want to come to what you see we uh, what you believe we might see in this particular matchup on Sunday. Uh, and and what's different here and this is something I think, you know, people uh, people realize but maybe it's not front and center, you know, what they did against the Red Bulls was that that was 180 minutes and I'm sure Halter planned it out that way. Here's our first ninety at home in front of our crowd. Here's our second ninety at Red Bull Arena. Let's let's break this out and and, and take these two job, you know, take this job both as a whole and as individual games. This is one this is one game for everything. This is a, a different situation, and you're going to have to score to win. I mean, I, I just don't see a, a, a goalless draw and and penalty kicks, Patrick. So, if in terms of what what what. Berhalter did against New York what what is the thing that stands out most in terms of his thinking and and again is this game planning for the opponent is this adjusting because of the way that they were playing is it a simple we just need to be more solid defensive what what was the thinking you believe for burhalter in that in that series
1: oh you're exactly right on the the conference final uh Berhalter did plan for 180 minutes and it, it was um you know keeping with the same style but Really evolving it to the situation and the opponent. In New York, uh, the Red Bulls had a great midfield uh, this season, and uh, that's really how they kind of controlled the game. Uh, you know, Columbus disrupted that by attacking high with uh, with high defensive pressure, and they're not really a great pressing team. But it was it was uh, out of nowhere, and it was very effective. And you know, the Red Bulls really weren't effective at getting close range shots in. They may have had the possession edge but they misfired on the passes and, and they just weren't effective. You know, Columbus didn't counterattack or anything like that. It was just that they played their style. They may not have had the possession edge, but they made their chances count with, uh, with the direct ball at the, you know, nine seconds in and then, you know, some speed, you know, and, and wing play, which is, you know, the Cresties the, bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, going into the second match, you know, Berhalter talked, you know, we're going to get that goal. You know, one goal, if we score a goal, we're going to win this series. You know, we're going to play our game. Instead, you know, the, everybody dropped back. You know, they, they really baited New York to say, okay, you need two goals. Come and get them. <laughs> right. And yeah. then, you know, Ethan Finley's fast. He, he's one of the fastest players in the league. Kai Kamar can hold up the ball like no one else. And, uh, you know, Justin Mirum, he he loves to take people on. You know, Fetty Terry Green, he picked up that ball. You know they don't counterattack, but they're really set up to be a pretty effective counterattacking team. So you know the situation was you're up two nothing, you have a half to go, 90 minutes, and uh, you know let's try to hit them on the break. And there were opportunities. Columbus had that chance to get that away goal. Um, It didn't matter in the end, but but it was there.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. I mean they 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 forced Luis Robles to make some saves. Um, Clearly, regardless of whether or not you intend on making the counter. Um you know your offensive you know create your offensive output because they didn 't necessarily need a goal they just needed to make sure new york didn 't score two Th- those every one of those guys you mentioned is a release valve um for for Columbus as they are trying to uh to stop new york and, and I guess what 's interesting is Burhalter has found a way to balance out. The very innate truth that this is a team that likes to go forward. I've compared them to you know, this is like a thoroughbred, uh, Patrick. They don't want to be held back. They want to run. This is this is what they do. Not ru- not not necessarily uh, direct uh, analogy with running, but they want to go forward. They certainly want to push and try to score goals. I mean, that to to balance that out in this series and and to create a situation where they could be comfortable defending but also give themselves the opportunity to release some of that forward energy i think is is brilliant coaching
4: i i would
1: agree you know i i think you hit the nail on the head jason uh it was it was just really you know astute from the staff to to get every player in the right role so that they they were comfortable in it and that they knew you know given this is uh you know they they play the same system week after week, and only rarely will we'll go into a shower or a counterattack to really have the team prepared. Um, I think, you know, coming up, you know, rather than, in, than a revolution, it'll be the, the, the tweaks. And, you know, he has everybody honed in on this team to be receptive to, to those suggestions. So I, I think it's interesting that Berhalter you know, in the first leg commented that uh, his staff was the one that saw that, you know, the the, the left side of New York was tiring. And that's how to attack them. So it really seems like a a collaborative effort from this coaching staff and it's impressive to see, you know, how they work and how they break down a team and how they they look at the film and and, and see the weaknesses and um, you know, with with Darlington Nagby really coming into his own over the last two months of the MLS season. I'm really interested to see what they do with it, uh how they counteract what he's able to do.
0: So when you look at uh when you look at Sunday there are th- what's th- there's a lot of uh, parallels between these two teams that I think are fascinating. I don't know that they'll play out in any particular way on the field. They won't give us necessarily some sort of uh, indication of how the game's going to go, but you have um you, you know have you have a big tall striker uh, leading the line of African descent and that's not necessarily the same player and maybe we can get into that. You obviously have wing players speed out there um for both Portland and Columbus. You have um, you have young Americans running things in the midfield, Trap and, and Nagby. You have Argentine playmakers, Valeri and Iguain. Uh, you have solid, you know, solid American defenders, plus sort of a, um, I don't know, a, a physical presence there in in Ridgewell and in, in Soro. So there's, and the, the fullbacks like to push. I mean, this these teams are very very similar in, in a lot of regards. Does that mean anything for you, Patrick?
1: Oh, I I just think that, like the New York series, it was great to see two teams with a a distinct philosophy, who know how they want to play and who are, you know, constantly adapting. Uh, Caleb Porter came into this league with uh, with a very distinct way of how he wanted to play, and over the course of his tenure with the Timbers, that's evolved. We saw that at Akron. You know, they were able to, to overpower a lot of teams who's always able to play, but Caleb has really kind of, you know, as he's taken his knocks and as he's had his setback has really tried to figure out, okay, I have these groups of players. How do I make them work best? It's the same way that, that halter has been, you know, changing and tweaking things so that, you know, okay, we, we now have, uh, you know, this year we have a right back that we can push forward and that changes the scheme. Whereas, you know, last year it was the Eric erger Josh Williams not really attacking fullbacks. So, he, he, you know, they, they find those right players and they find the right places with them. And, uh, you know, the, the, the symmetry between the two teams is also, is also interesting because you have two physical midfielders like Diego Chara and Tony Chani. Yeah. Who, you know, those guys are enforcers. And that, you know, that midfield battle can get pretty rough. You know, you have Darlington Agby who is calm under pressure and he can receive the ball and he can keep things moving. You know, kind of like a Federico green. or even a little bit in, in case of uh, the outlet for you know <laughs> Columbus is well. Trap. He'll get into pressure. He'll get into situations, and he's calm under pressure and can receive the ball in traffic and then move it along. So you you have those, and you know they they you know like to play dir- direct along the wings. You know Columbus, that's where they live, mm-hmm. and uh, in Portland, you know they they they, they evolve, and you know Deleg- Diego Valeri. Is able to to kind of pull the strings when it's necessary, and uh, you know, Audi's made the, the the adjustment to MLS and you know, sixteen goals is a testament.
0: Absolutely, um, but but again, I mean, you know, what's interesting, I think, is for all of those parallels, Columbus, both teams, both teams use their wings to great effect, but but Audi's not the target guy that Kamara is, and and maybe what's what will, this will come down to is is whether or not. You know the, the the Timbers can get the ball to Adi's feet in dangerous places where he can finish, and whether Columbus can get the ball to, to Kamara's head where he's most dangerous.
1: I would agree. Um, you know the the you know Columbus likes to cross the ball in, and you know Kamara he's he's dangerous with his head, and and that's you know that's a fact. But he's also dangerous with his feet, and his movement is excellent. Kind of like how Adi has adapted, yeah. and his movement I think is 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 quite adept at finding those seams. You have to have really smart defense and re- really cognizant uh, about the movement that those strikers can do because they're not just pure finishers. You know they're smart players who can get into that position, draw, you know, a defender away, create a little bit of space for you know your midfield to to kind of creep in and 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 do that. So, you know, I, I you know the the styles aren't exactly the same, but you know the 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 similarities and and how you know Furhalter deals with with Nagby or the the, the the problems that Audi presents, or how to manage the wings when you have such fast players, but you like to push up your fullback, such as the the reverse of what how Porter's going to have to handle, you know, what Ethan Finley is capable of, mm. and Justin Miriam's ability to attack directly, and you know Will Trapp's diagonal long balls that that you know he lives to ping the ball around.
0: So much, uh, so much fun here. Um, potential, and, and you know, I, I got in trouble a little bit, um, maybe last week, um, asking the question of whether or not this a matchup of t- of the Timbers and 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 Columbus was good for MLS. And I obviously meant that in a marketing sense, Patrick. So much of what we talk about when it comes to this league and American soccer is growing the sport, and you know, blah blah blah. How many people are going to watch on television? Uh, clearly, that's not an issue. Columbus fans don't care. Timbers fans shouldn't care. Honestly, American soccer fans who can take value out of this game shouldn't care. Um but in the it, because in the, in the grand scheme in the in the, the more, most important thing is that on the field we're probably going to see some fun soccer. I
1: that's my hope. I guess my my concern is that, you know, cup finals can be, you know, reserved, uh, you know, either the conditions play a part or both teams don't want to give up a mistake. Um I think that's the nice thing about how Columbus plays is that you know they understand that you know Burr added a, a wrinkle of pragmatism here and there, but you know they have a way of playing, and they're gonna they're going to go at them and uh you know in the media today uh this week he's talked about you know ninety minutes and both teams can go all out you know porter he he's shown a little bit more pragmatism, but I think that he knows that he has a team if they play the way they you know that they're capable of and they play their style, you know they're hard to beat as well uh, you know you talked about symmetry. You know, the, 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 teams have the same exact record, the same exact total points and, and, and they're just so evenly matched up that I hope that it's, uh, one of those where it's kind of like that first leg of the Red Bull uh, Crew Series because that was just entertaining soccer. You know, you could sit there as a neutral and you see both teams just pressing and looking for that outlet or trying to make something happen.
0: Yep, uh, we we should have some great we we should have some good soccer, as you said. Maybe there's an instinct uh, there to sit back, but even if even if it's Porter who goes with the pragmatic approach, you have to imagine that the Berhalter is going to want to push things at home in front of a full house, and that should give. I mean, it, you know, it took them nine seconds to score against New York. I can only imagine they're going to go for the jug, 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 jugular jugular in the same sort of way, Patrick, to start this game, and and, and really. Maybe what what uh, Porter needs to to think about is is just trying to match that pressure right off the bat. Otherwise, you might get steamrolled. I mean, I I really do. Uh, uh, while I I respect everything the Timbers have done this year, and as you said, same record, same number of points, everything very very similar. I think it's I think it's Crew SC that that has the momentum and has the confidence, and and being at home is going to be the tipping point.
1: I I, I think that you're you're right about uh, the the atmosphere. Um, you know, I've been going to a lot of games. Over the course of, you know, over a dozen years now. And, uh, you know, th- there has not been an atmosphere in Columbus like, uh, the, the past couple of months. Uh, it's really kind of, uh, amazing to see, you know, throughout the playoffs, the Montreal game, you know, that's extra time and the, the, you know, the whole stadium is standing and there's no, no one sitting down at all. Uh, the same thing for the New York match when, you know, you have a two nothing lead and, you know, MLS Cup is is tantalizingly close, 90 minutes away, and and you have that energy. And you know, a Cup final, you know, Portland, you know, they played in front of uh, you know, Timber's army and, and loud fans, but uh, and they might be used to it. But I think that there's going to be some some lift, you know, having you know some of these these players who have been on the team for several years and you know playing in front of 14, 15, or 1, 000 in an early season game, and it's not as energetic it's going to be a whole lot different when it's 21 or 22,000 and it's packed and it's, you know, it's mostly for you guys. So I think that that's going to provide a little bit of energy and, you know, excitement. Uh This this team's going to feed off of that. And I hope your prediction's right. You know, it's, uh, I, you know I, I would I'd certainly enjoy, you know, Columbus lifting the cup at home. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's certainly – 90 minutes, it's going to be a nervous
4: 90
0: minutes. It sure will. Sunday, uh, the Columbus crew hosting Portland Timbers MLS Cup Final, talking about it from the Crew side of things. Patrick Golden from MassiveReport.com. Go check him out, the SB Nation blog covering the Columbus crew. And Patrick is on Twitter. I believe it's just Patrick Golden, G-U-L-D-A-N, correct?
1: Actually, actually, it's GoldenMR, G-U-L-D-A-N, M-R. Okay.
0: There you go. So it's Golden GoldenMR on Twitter. Patrick, appreciate the time and the insight, and we'll look forward to Sunday.
1: Thank you very much, Jason. Enjoy.
0: There goes uh, Patrick Golden. Good stuff from him. Step aside. We'll shift gears. We'll go over to Europe. We'll talk Spanish football with our friend David Cartledge. The Neville brothers, both at Valencia. It's kind of a weird thing, but we'll talk about it. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
2: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk
0: with Jason Davis. All right, we have hopped over the pond and now talking uh, Spanish football with our friend David Cartlidge. Follow him on Twitter, David J A C A. He covers Spanish football for numerous outlets, including BN Sports. Hi, David. Hello there. So uh, the Neville brothers are now at Valencia. Gary Neville taking over as manager until the end of the season. Nuno was uh, was fired this weekend. This is the big news. It's all over my timeline on Twitter. Um, first of all, how big of a surprise is it that Gary Neville is taking over when Phil Neville's been an assistant there since the summer?
5: Well, on the outset, it it does look a surprise an appointment, most certainly. But then you need to look at the 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 links that have been formed. Um, you know, in in recent years, or between Peter Lim, Valencia's owner, and. Uh, and, and the Manchester United boys, you know, he he's behind Salford City, um, you know, and Neville, you know, there's just different like links there. So when you when you peel back the layers, you can see it actually makes a lot of sense that that, that Neville has got the job. Uh,
0: well, but he comes in cold, and maybe that's not a bad thing. I mean, certainly when you fire a manager, you don't expect to hire in, internally a permanent replacement. But and this is the this is till the end of the season. It seems like a sort of an odd hedge that he's. Not he's he's not a caretaker, but he's not necessarily the permanent choice either.
5: Um, no, it's just till uh, June 2016 that uh, the the contract runs until. So yes, he's got to the end of the season for now, and then and then Valencia will will maybe judge it from there. So it, it is. It's an interest, because I mean there had been other names mentioned, you know, a bit more high profile names, names a bit more experience. Um, so, for Neville the Garrett, it's, it's an interesting appointment, and as you say, he comes in cold, he's got his England experience working as a coach there, where he's been very highly regarded, and also his TV work, you know, with his appointment as well, there's going to be a lot of sad uh, soccer fans in, in, in England, because he is the best um, pundit. He's the best analyst uh, in England by far, and he's really changed the dimension of uh, analysis in, in English, football, uh, English
0: soccer. Well, well, what does it mean for English football that that Gary Neville's taking this challenge, you know, that, that Phil Neville went and, and, and started his coaching career um, as an assistant in a place like Spain? I mean, this is the, again, this is an island that doesn't always export very well when it comes to, to football. Uh, and, and we've You know, when we see even a Scottish manager like David Moyes go to to Spain, it's a a very notable thing.
5: Yeah, I mean, Moyes is a guy with experience at different levels. You know, he experienced at mid-table level in the Premier League with Everton, and obviously he went all the way at the top with Manchester United, and then obviously he carved out a career elsewhere in Preston, in the the lower regions of English football as well. So he went with experience, and and he, let's be honest, failed. So for Neville to go in, it, it is quite a daunting experience. I mean, if you look at Roy Hodgson's comments today, he said this is a fantastic thing for English football, that this guy who might well be the most talented English coach in terms of vision over the next 10 years for the English game has gone abroad to to Spain, a country that has that won it all and, and is renowned for its coaching system. So the fact that he's gone over there hopefully to learn something and he can maybe come back and maybe he's even been eyed as a potential successor to Roy Hodgson with England or even uh-huh. even bigger, possibly Manchester United.
0: Well, you, you mentioned he's leaving the pundit job uh, with Sky Sports, much to the chagrin of, of millions of football watchers in England and and even over here in the states, occasionally somebody will post something that that, that Gary Neville has done because he's broken down something so so magnificently um, that even a rube, a tactical rube like me, can understand it, uh, <laughs> David. Um yeah. but, but he's gonna <laughs> he's going to retain his position within the England setup. Is, is it, what? Okay, first of all, is Lim is, is Lim maybe being a little too? Is he is he deferring a little too much to the class of ninety two and to, to to Gary Neville here?
5: Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think potentially. I think that's been a problem of Valencia and the problem what Valencia fans have at the moment. Everything that has been worked inside Valencia, be it now with coaching and also with players, is coming via Peter Lim and his circle of friends and his circle of advisors. Now, we should say he's got no actual football man beside him. There's no sporting director installed in Valencia at the moment. There was, but he left because of a disagreement with how Valencia was being run. So that was the first sign in- this summer they were the first cracks that appeared in Valencia over that. And and that's the worrisome thing for a lot of Valencia fans. There is no actual sporting director or somebody looking into football matters who's, who's been there, who's played the game, who knows the inner work and the transfer dealings there right now. There's just it's just coming through Jorge Mendes who you know, who it is being judged that he is putting his clients first, he's putting himself first.
0: A very interesting times um, at Valencia. Uh, what what kind of? I mean, Gary Neville is a, again. He's a he's a very tactically astute guy. But we know that management, especially in the modern game, David, is not necessarily all about your tactics. It, it's also about managing those men, those individuals, massaging yeah. personalities, keeping harmony within the dressing room. Is Gary Neville prepared for that? Um, that's
5: the thing. What we're going to be seeing, and I do wonder. I mean, he's had experience, obviously, with England. But come on. Managing a club like Valencia who are still in the Champions League, who will be expected to finish high in the Liga, is gonna be it's gonna be different than being in a studio and having a few researchers around and you have little video clips made for you. And what you need to do is just maybe go over there and point them out. And like I say, I don't mean to demean him or anything, the job he does is fantastic. The insight he offers is just it's brilliant. But he's gonna have like you say, he's gonna to have to manage egos. He's gonna to have to think he's gonna to have to think of tactics actually there as well, you know, not with hindsight. He's gonna to have to look ahead the games. And pick out little things in opposing teams, and also Valencia, judge their strengths and weaknesses, and and that's going to be interesting. And then just the culture aspect as well, something that like we said, we we're discussing David Moyes, he didn't really integrate himself fully, and that was eventually his downfall. I feel so Neville is going to have to really, really integrate. Phil's been doing brilliantly, by the way. He's he's been learning his Spanish. He's still got his Spanish on, and he's trying extremely hard. So that's a, that's a good sign. So hopefully he follows the similar suit.
0: Uh, well, it's just, again, interesting to see, uh, Phil Neville having been established there at Valencia for, for a couple of months now. And, and here comes his brother to, to ride in and take over the managerial position. Uh, with that connection to Peter Lim, as you mentioned, Valencia currently, uh, ninth place right now uh, on 19 points after 13 matches. Uh, a couple of other places we should go within the league and within Spanish football before uh, before we run out of time here, uh, David. I- I'm going to go to Twitter. We'll get this in. Robert wants to know about what the situ- about the situation at Malaga. Right now they're in the the drop zone, 10 points, tied for uh, fewest number of points so far this season. Uh, he says ever since Pellegrini left, they haven't done anything in the league. I, I imagine it's finances at Malaga.
5: Yeah, finance is a big, big issue. They they came in here with... They had big owners, obviously, came in. Um, they pumped a lot of money. They bought people like Isco Santi Cazorla. They, bu- they bought these type of players and then eventually had to sell them due to the financial restraints. And they survived for a little while working with austerity, uh, austerity you know, getting a few cheap players in, a few free signings, a few loans. But it's very hard to keep that up. Keep that up. And, and, and Malaga, at the moment, are, are failing to, to continue what they had done so well. And... The players who have come in or replaced just simply aren't up to the standard of those who have left, and they sold somebody like Samuel Castillejo at Real Madrid, and he wasn't properly replaced.
0: You're relying on young
5: players to come through, and you're relying on cheap signings with by like, question marks over them. So it's been very, very difficult for Malaga. It's, it's a shame to see, and, and again, I think we're going to see a, a reshuffle of their pack in terms of sporting director as well. The sporting directors have got such a big, big job in Spain. When they when they don't have access to large amounts of funds, they are really relying on their acumen in the market and their contacts. And unfortunately, and it's run out for Malaga.
0: All right, let's uh, let's go back. Uh, let's let's talk about the, one of the big clubs with no problems with their finances, and that's Real Madrid. Uh, third place recently, going through um, you know a, a a a a bad period, losing to Barcelona at home in the Clasico. Uh, the vote of confidence for Rafa Benitez, usually a, a dreaded thing, in this case, seems to be that he is going to get. An opportunity to, to to settle in further here with Real Madrid. I just don't know. Was it a surprise to you that he that he was retained? And and if it wasn't, what does that mean about the state of Real Madrid at the moment?
5: Yeah, that that's basically Florentino Perez. You know, he, he's covering his own back as he, as he absolutely loves to do. He, he puts other people out in the firing line, and he likes to cover his own neck. Um, and that's what that move was from him. He privately, he's privately. Admitted that okay, this hasn't gone as well as I expected. This relationship's been broken here between manager and players. Things aren't really smooth. This is not what I'm like saying. But you know what? I'm not going to admit that in public. I'm not going to people. Uh, I'm not going to have people think that I'm an idiot, even though they already do. He doesn't really want to admit that, and that's the problem at the moment. Just Florentino covering his back. So, so Rafa's in a situation now where he he's, he's probably got the re- he's got the rest of the season unless something terrible happened. I think. Um, and to work on things and get Real Madrid back to at least touching distance of Barca in some sense.
0: Well, the, the Champions League is going well to this point. What is what? What represents a disaster though for for Real Madrid, and what represents the the you know what would be the thing that might get Rafa fired before the end of the year? Is I mean, are we talking about dropping points, you know, on, on a an astounding Chelsea-like level. I mean, is it that it would have to be that bad?
5: Yeah, I think it would have to be that bad, potentially a, a surprise early knockout from the Champions League. And and maybe, who knows, in, internally as well, some major fallouts of players. There's a lot of talk with Thomas Rodriguez at the moment, but I think he would have to lose somebody in a big way like Sergio Ramos to, or, or Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe potentially, to, to maybe see him moved on. But I think it's going to be deciding results on the pitch. So I'm going to say an early Champions League knockout, okay. falling further behind in the league, and that's what you'd have to do. Hmm.
0: Barcelona top of the table right now, four point lead over Atleti, who's in second place. Real Madrid in third. Um, just Barcelona chugging along. I mean, the, you know, they, they did seem we did seem to have a a Barcelona dip, but everything's come back around. When you spend money like they did on Suarez and Neymar, I, I suppose that helps.
5: Yeah, of course, those guys, those two have carried them through, and, and like we discussed on the show pre-classical, you know, that those two could have just carried them through anyway, but and, and and they did in effect, and then Messi came on later on, you know. I think Messi could even seat it for a few weeks if you really wanted to go and find a beach somewhere and relax there, because those two guys have got it at the moment. Um, but the fact that they've got all three together again, hey, Basser will take it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, otherwise, uh, when you look at the at the table at this point, I mean, we're at the um, uh, you know we're third of the way through the season, a little bit more than that, perhaps. Do you see? Do you see any surprises? Do you see anything that that maybe we should be watching um, as we approach? You know, as we approach uh, January and a potential for. For teams, you know, Spanish football has beyond the top two, two or three teams hasn't been a spending league when it comes to January. But is there an opportunity at all for some of these teams to to improve their squads and make a run, either at a you know a Europa League spot or a surprise finish?
5: It will be, as usual, very, very astute. Like we're talking about the sporting directors, they will be looking at the loan market and they will be seeing which big teams are. Carrying a bit of excess weight. What type of player could come in? Somebody who's maybe on the fringes out somewhere. Somebody like a Lavetti or a Lucas who's at PSG. They're not getting many games without a form. Bring somebody like them in on loan and that could be just an extra little punch for a team like Sevilla or Valencia or something like, oh, one of those teams. So that's where you're going to see. I don't think we're going to see a lot of money spent at all. It's just going to be really careful, astute, picking up of of loans or potentially the odd cheap deal but there is just never really any money spent I think Barcelona will, will look to get a, a forward player I'll be seriously doubtful if Real Madrid brought anybody in mm-hmm. um, Valencia Sevilla they will access the loan market I think and maybe, might spend a little bit of money just to boost their I think flagging campaigns really mm.
0: Uh, all right, David. One of the uh, more fascinating things to develop uh, in recent times in relation to Spanish football and American soccer coming together is the uh, investment in Oklahoma in, uh, by Rio Vallecano. And you and I have talked about this already. Uh, and about Rio not necessarily having the resources that make this um, a, a wise decision. Um, I've heard the numbers a million dollars. That's, that's not a lot of money in today's game, but it's certainly for a club like Rio could be a significant a- amount of their budget. Um and now the fans have taken to <laughs> taken to obtaining the 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 gear of the other team in Oklahoma City. Yes, there are now two teams in Oklahoma City. <laughs> what what's the latest there from just the the public perception of of what Ralph Iacono is doing?
5: Yeah, yeah, it was the little protest against the Athletic Global where they where they wore the merchandise of the uh, the other the, the team there, <laughs> which I thought was uh it, it, it's pretty it's standard Ryo behaviour. They're very clever like that. They've got a great sense of humor. They're very different to another set of fans and any fat set of fans in Spain, you know, and that's like a nice little thing what they've done there, I think. And uh, the same goes with the protests that they have as well. They are very inventive when it comes to these sort of things. But the anger is definitely not subsiding as well because we'll get to we'll get to January and there's not going to be much money invested in RIO. So and like you say, that the smallest amount of money Matt for half a million euros, a million euros, two million euros, yeah. not much in the day as well. But RIO can usually do a lot with that. And, um you know, it's, it's big money and it is. And you've got to understand the neighborhood that RIO are in as well. The Vieques neighborhood is very working class. There's been lots of job losses there. It's a very, very hardworking, gruff sort of area. And, and they've taken this to heart in a big, big way.
0: Yeah, Rio, for, for those who don't know, Rio Vicano is, is, Madrid, you know, is, is another Madrid team. It's not, uh, it's obviously not on the level of, of Atleti and, and Real Madrid, but they do have, um, their vervent, uh, fan base there in, in, in Madrid. As you said, the, the working class area of the city. And, and these are the clubs that are going to be hit hardest. I mean, again, David, it makes, on some level, there's business sense in 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 expanding your brand and doing all those things that the, the corporate speak stuff. And yet, for a club like Rayo Vallecano, whose image is very much tied uh, to a to a completely different type of idea, and the money is is, is scant as it is, I, it's it's such an odd balancing act for a club like Raya these days. And, and I don't want to say that the conclusion is they'll never be able to survive, but I wonder.
5: Yeah, yeah, I know it's. It's just the case that it it, there's lots of question marks over this deal. There's, there's still probably things that we don't really know about it as well, and there's certainly things that the fans are wanting to get the bottom of. And, but the, but the main, so, it, their anger is just that the fact that this money is going elsewhere. That is the main source of this anger. That's why protests will continue. That's why there will be continuous voices from different fan sources as well, saying, look, this is, this is not right. Maybe even some boycotts of certain games and merchandise. And that's how the, that's what the where the angle lies from. Really, just, it, this just isn't right for a club like Riot. It just doesn't sit in any form, shape, or form with Riot. It's just not them.
0: So there you go, David Cartledge covering Spanish soccer La Liga uh, for us here on Soccer Morning. He does that for any, um, uh, numerous outlets as well. Go follow him on Twitter at David J A C A. Uh, David, brilliant stuff as always. Fascinating times in, in Spain. We'll see how the, the Nevels do and, uh, and and continue to watch this this Ryo situation <laughs> again. It's, it's Oklahoma. No offense to Oklahoma. It's such an odd place to go. David, appreciate the time. Thank you very much.
5: No problem. join you.
0: There goes uh, David Cartlidge. Good stuff from him as always. Let's take a break. We'll come back. And we will talk to you on a Wednesday. The phone lines will be open. It will be MLS Cup. It will be whatever else is on your mind or Don Garver. And his quotes to uh, Grant Wall in this interview—very fascinating stuff. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Wide awake in the middle of the desert heat, 100 miles to New Mexico, with the devil in my limousine. Oh.
2: Welcome back to
1: Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
0: Here we are back at Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. The phone lines all fired up, ready for you. Jump on in, 636-832-3909. Let's start with our man, Robert, out in Los Angeles, California. Hey, Robert. Hey, good morning, Jason. Good morning. What's on your mind?
2: Hey, I want to talk about uh, the MLS award. and I, I tried to call you the, uh, earlier about your brain, but do you think it's a little strange that they do it during the playoffs? Because it just it's uh, especially with when those when the, when the players win them, and then they get like you know they have like a bad game, and it just like puts like a, a bad eye on the player. Like like for instance, I was watching the. The Columbus New York game, and you know Louis Rose won the MLS goalkeeper of the uh, year award, but then he gives up a goal in nine seconds, and that just uh, <laughs> like, and then, like, Jesse March wins coach of the year, and then he gets eliminated.
0: You know, I, like, know, it, I it, don't like, know. No, I'm uh, no, watching the broadcast,
2: no. and then like John John Strong said, it's like, well, Jesse, the coach of the year just won the game, but he's been eliminated from the playoffs, and I was just like, I just thought it was a weird thing to do.
0: Maybe you uh, have a weird phone line there, Robert, so I'm going to drop you, but I, I don't. I don't necessarily think that's a problem uh that's the you know get the awards out while the play i don't i don't think that's a big deal by the way the announcement on the mvp award is today by all uh, by all reports and it's going to be in toronto they're going to announce jovinko's mvp in toronto why why not i remember going to kansas city in 2013 for mls cup final and mike mcgee showing up there at the Sporting Kansas City headquarters to get his MVP award and to be, I thought that, I think it was announced there. Why, why is Jovinco getting, like, he just doesn't want to go to Columbus? <laughs> I mean, is that a slight? Is, is Sebastian Jovinco sliding Columbus, Ohio right now? Is that what's happening here? I'd be curious. 636, 636, 646. Let me try one more time. 646-832-3909 is your phone number. Jump in here. Give me a call. Let's talk about uh, MLS Cup Finals. Let's talk about the Columbus Crew. Let's talk about uh, Rio Viacano and Rio OKC and OKC Energy and the protests. Or, as I said, talk about Don Garber and some of these answers to these questions that he gave to Grant Wall over at Planet Football SI.com. dot uh, You know, Grant's on Twitter saying that he thinks the biggest news might be that Garber is saying every MLS club should own a a women's club, a women's team. I suppose that means NWSL in almost every case, uh, and you can make an argument for that. And that's certainly uh, Garber actually talks about how he sort of flip flopped on that idea; he wasn't sure about it, but now he's changed his mind, and he's on board for the notion of MLS teams being involved in the women's game. And that's that's good. I think you know again we're at a point with the women's game where the, all the support that they can get. Uh, that, 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 that league can get is good for the future health of the league. Now, one day you might want to imagine that those, those clubs split off, do their own thing, are their own entities, stand on their own two feet. But for the time being, nothing wrong with, uh, supporting that, that league and giving them, uh, the opportunity to util- utilize some of the, uh, experience that MLS has, has earned in the marketplace. All right. Let's shift back. Uh, let's talk about, uh, wow. Eddie in Brooklyn. <laughs> what's up, Eddie?
4: Hey, what's up, man? Um, I don't know. Do we want to
0: talk Red Bulls or? Uh, you talk whatever you want to talk about. I mean, I'm not going to give you crap about the Red Bulls. That was a great year, and you came up against a bus of a team. I mean, it,
4: playoffs, right? Yeah, playoffs. What, what was the what was the Red Bulls' record in the playoffs?
0: Uh, let's see. They were uh, three and one. Three and one. Okay. Yeah. What was Columbus's record in the playoffs? Uh, I mean, guess two and two. Two and two. And
4: the other team who lost more games is going to MLS Cup final. That's playoffs in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> well, that's the playoff format MLS has chosen to hang their hat on. So yeah, we could argue, uh, not argue. We could debate and discuss whether or not the way that the league runs their playoffs is even more unfair than just having playoffs at all because a lot of people don't like that, including yourself. I, I, I think that, you know, one off games are probably a better judge of who's the better team. When you have these two-game series, especially, and, and I saw somebody ran some numbers, there is literally no advantage to having a second leg at home. None. Zero. It doesn't, being a higher seed and getting that game means nothing. And that's all the Red Bulls really got out of being the, the number one seed in the tournament.
4: I mean, for me, the one-offs to me are, are even more fluky because you just look at the, the Union game in the Open Cup, I think with the quarterfinals, you know, had no business winning that game. The Rebels, I shot him. Something yeah, but like, but at you know, least, or but, at,
0: at least if you're the Red Bulls, that game would be at home because you're the higher seed. Like for me, that, like, yeah, but it's a,
4: just, and anything, it's, it's still one of those anything can happen moments. It's, okay. It's, it's true. basically one game, it's still a smaller sample size. My thing has always been the bigger the sample size, uh, the, the, bigger, the better the indicator of, of what we're seeing. So when people, the, the narrative that was being shoved down my throat for whatever reason was that the better team advanced. And mind you, I, I will, I will, I will admit, readily admit that the crew outplayed the rebels for a vast majority of that tie. But nobody can tell me that the better team advanced. These two played each other five times. The rebels won three of those games. All right. Three is bigger than two, so okay. you can't tell me that the better team advanced.
0: <laughs> Wait, three is bigger than two. All right, look, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying, and you and I have had this argument before, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't disagree. That when we talk about, um, when we talk about the, I, I I guess, I guess my issue here is, or or what I want to make sure that I try to express is that I see value in identifying the best team over the season and the best team in this short playoff run. And they are different tests of the same general area, which is how good of a soccer team you are. Are you a good enough soccer team to, to have the most points over 34 games? All right, congratulations. Bravo. Well done. Are you a good enough soccer team to figure out how to win enough games and score enough goals over the course of five games to win a title? A different thing. I mean, uh, just a different yeah, thing. Com- com-
4: like, like, I agree. It's fine. It's playoffs. I understand that's how it works in this country. My thing is don't use that to take away everything that the rebels done. Like I saw a lot of people – trying to take away what the rebels did over the course of seven months mind you and kind of undermine that because they couldn't do it in a three four week span which i think is completely ridiculous if, if my sample size is seven months long and yours is about four weeks long and now you're trying to undermine everything i did i just don't understand the logic behind yeah, that well, okay, it like, look, well okay. they, they, they proved that they couldn't do it it's like well no they proved that they could do it for seven months it, they couldn't prove it to you again. That's a you problem. I,
0: problem. I feel like, no, I don't want to take anything away from the Red Bulls. I do feel like it's necessary to, to have people understand where you, your, 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 uh, your perspective on this is, is a lot, probably a lot to do with your job, isn't it? Well, no, I mean, it's just,
4: you can't Americanize my sense of achievement, right? Like we won the <laughs> Wait, league and we qualified for Champions League.
0: Americanizing can't, your sense of achievement. Yeah, you can't oh,
4: Americanize God. my sense of achievement just because oh we didn't God. win oh the MLS cup, because some people still hold MLS God. cup as the end or be all, beyond. I still don't understand why I, I, the way I view it, I view it kind of like the European way. So like winning the supporters, Shield is like winning your league, uh, winning champions league would be like winning CCL and winning MLS cup. is like winning the FA cup. It's just like very exclusive FA cup.
0: Okay, fine. That's, I mean, I, I think there's, validity there but i don't think you can blame fans either I maybe mean, fans should not be dumping on the new york Red Bulls today or or in, in light of their loss to, to columbus but what but i don't think you can blame them either eddie for feeling let down because you know they've been through this before with this team number a number of times The the chance to go and win the one trophy that is still regarded as the biggest by most people or by the history of the league and every time that they get close, every time they have the team that looks like it's capable of doing it, they manage to trip over themselves or they manage to gum up against a team that has game planned them out of their whatever they do. I mean, and I think that's, that's the, that's sort of the trouble here is when you look at what the Red Bulls did over the course of the season, okay, lower stakes games, we managed, we managed to score a bunch of goals and win a bunch of games and win a, a, a trophy and that, that matters. And, and that made, made, maybe that makes them the best team in the league. I mean, I had them number one on my power rankings, Eddie, no matter what. But when it came down to, okay, beat that team in front of you, figure out a way to beat that team in front of you like like it's the last day of the season and the winner gets the trophy, you couldn't do it. You couldn't figure out a way to do it.
4: Well, I mean, they did beat them. They beat them one nothing. They just didn't beat them enough. And that, okay, you know, well, that's what I'm
0: saying. It, 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 it's it's that kind of, a, of thing. Yeah,
4: they went three out of four games in the playoffs and they got sent home. And I understand, I yeah, you, you you have a right to be upset about that if you're a Rebels fan. I I was too. You want to win the double. You want to win all the trophies you can it's just that I think people are still hung up on getting get that money shot. Because when you win MLS Cup, that's the last thing people remember. Because yeah. you win the Florida Shield, you still have to play for another month. Yeah. And as opposed to in other leagues where you win the league and, and, and the Cup Final, they're kind of like in the same week. And you can kind of get over one because you've got the other one the same week. Mm. And I think that it's that money shot that Rebels fans are still yearning for. I just personally don't care
0: okay it's fair you know,
4: if we win it we win it we don't we don't, we
0: don't eddie i got people waiting do you want to hit on something else before i go
4: yeah uh grant wall before thanksgiving said that USMNT you're going to be um they're going to be seated for the copa america it's like it's just a thing that we're doing now we're seating like the third best team in Concacaf.
0: <laughs> um i have no comment on that that's not my, i didn't make that decision i'm not going to defend that stance I have no comment. If you want to take your shot, you can take your shot. Going out, Eddie. Appreciate it, man. All
3: right, man. You have <laughs> yeah, be <laughs>
0: so. Oh man, just it just just uh, bombs. Just dropping bombs. I mean, he's he's obviously bitter. Mark Fishkin. We're going to continue the Red Bull talk. He jo- joins us now. Hey, how are you, sir? I'm doing okay. I'm I'm a little less bitter. Okay, why just a little? Because you've been you've been numb to it.
6: Well, I mean listen, uh, we, we've seen this movie so many times before. Uh, you know. And my 11-year-old son was despondent leaving the stadium the other night. And I'm like, hey, we had the game at home this year. Last <laughs> year we had a four-hour bus ride home from New England. Like, this is great. We got a 20-minute <laughs> ride
0: home. Small so. victories. <laughs> yeah, right. What else um, is on your
6: mind, The, Re- the Red Bulls, I just want to share. The Red Bulls announced um, their option uh, declines for this year while – the show's been going on, and while it was previously reported that Roy Miller and Dane Richards have, uh, departed, those eras are officially over, um, you know, a little bit of surprise among Red Bull fandom this morning that options for, uh, Paranel and Sean Wright Phillips were not picked up, although they are, Ali Curtis did announce that he is negotiating with those players, and already yeah. Yeah. this morning, um as the news broke, fans of other teams are very, very quick to raise their hand and said, oh, we'll take Paranel? No, that'd be great. Thank you very much. And I think uh, it was very clear when uh, the Frenchman went down against D.C. that the New York's chances certainly took a hit, not to take anything away from the job that, that Columbus did, uh, and not to take anything away, I mean, perhaps from the defensive job that the Rebels did. They conceded two goals yeah. in four games in the postseason and posted three shutouts. And as Eddie said, uh, you know, obviously we're not moving forward. It's but, not fair, Mark. Um, it's
0: not fair. It's not fair. That's what I'm hearing. It's not fair. So that's
6: awesome. No, I mean, listen. It's the as you said, this is the system that I'm. Not, I'm certainly not complaining that it's not fair. Um, that those are the rules that everyone follows. Uh, and again, all 100 percent credit to Columbus for completely changing up their game to, in order to manage New York very well, which they did extremely well. Yeah. Um, you know, you just have to think in that first game of the series. Uh, in the span of about 15 seconds, that entire series was lost, right? Mm-hmm. The first nine seconds, and then, um, you know, frankly, some ball watching on New York's part, oh, yeah. and that mm-hmm. that was it. And, um, you know, it, it's a game of mistakes, and two mistakes were made, and, uh, you know, New York's not playing in the last game of the season. But yeah. as you had said, and as Eddie had said, nothing to take away from the accomplishments of the team. Most wins, most home wins, most goals, CCL and Shield and, uh, you know, with the, with the lack of expectation on this team, they had, frankly, a magical season. And next year, there will be the weight of all of that expectation on them, and it will be interesting to see what year two of uh, Curtis Marsh brings for this team.
0: Uh, yeah, one like, uh, what, what note here, and there's a lot of people commenting on this, uh, Leo Stoltz was released. This is the, the kid <laughs> who... Um, there were some machinations during the draft. He was sort of identified as the most MLS-ready player. I uh, believe German, who had come over to play uh, college soccer. I I had him as my Rookie of the Year because I bought into the hype, uh, Mark, and he didn't get a minute, did he?
6: No, he did not get a minute. He made the bench five times, as my erstwhile uh, uh, pal, uh, Dan Dickinson, had just recently posted. N- never saw a minute. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think if that's your biggest uh, swing and a miss, in a magical year for the club, then so be it. The club has added Tyler Adams, who uh, was 17-year-old kid from the academy who was ranked top drawer soccer's number one prospect for the year, and he played for USL last year, and he will be uh, part of the Red Bulls' first team this year. The kid scored against Chelsea, so yeah. yes... That didn't work out for him. Also, drops were uh, Manolo Sanchez, who was another draft pick, Marius Obacop, who'd hung around for a while, and Anthony Wallace, who scored a couple, two very important goals yeah. uh, for the team, uh, game-winning goals that led to points. But... Um, yeah, I mean again, if if that's the biggest bust of the year, gosh darn it Leo Stoltz didn't pan out Yeah, uh, yeah. with all the success take had.
0: Absolutely lots of good. Thanks for the call, Mark. I appreciate it. One one thing that um, is wrapped up in all of these uh, moves teams are making, the declined options, players being released is uh, some talk about the homegrown player situation. Now we we spent, you know, a lot of time praising FC Dallas for the number of homegrown players that they had in their lineup and how much they relied on their academy. And it's been a brilliant thing to watch. But there is definitely a problem with the way clubs are going about the signing of homegrown players who then are released a year or two or three later. Um, I I saw numbers, and I'll try to find them. I don't want to get them wrong. But a, 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 a good portion of these players are no longer in MLS. And a good portion of these players have... Uh, never seen the field or seen less than 90 minutes, it, it's not It's not great. I mean, there, there are some good stories. For every Acosta Victor, or um there are guys who never see the field but get signed, and it. it's like, why are you doing this? Bill, in New York, you're on the air.
3: Jason, how's it going? It's I going can't well. believe me and Eddie Wu for the same team. I disagree <laughs> with 99% of the things he talks about. The only thing I agree with is his away goal rule change, which I actually love that. But everything else, I disagree with him. The playoffs were excellent for shit, and they're still excellent. And I know he, I think he analyzes teams for a living. Yes. Is that, is that right? Yes. If he analyzes these two teams, we did it the other day, a bunch of us. You go player for player, Columbus and New York. Columbus is better. The whole team is, I think, seven of the 11 stars. We were all like, you know what? I think I would go Columbus. I'd go Columbus. If you really analyze them, they were better, and they won, and that's the way it should be. And the playoffs work, and the playoffs are great. and You can't get away from the playoffs.
0: Okay, fair enough, Bill. I appreciate the response, man. I'm unlimited time, so I'm going to let you go. Appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Hey,
3: let me throw out one more thing All you. right, go ahead. I love, you look, I love you looking for a scandal. You should be a Red Bull fan. Looking for a scandal with Javinko not going to Columbus. Red Bull fans would find that scandal in a second. That was great.
0: <laughs> I appreciate, appreciate it. Bill. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I don't know if I'm looking for one, but I, <laughs> I do think it's funny. All right, Mike and Philly, you're on the air.
4: Hey, Jason. Uh, yeah, I'm just chiming in.
2: Eddie's nuts. I mean, dude, Red Bull fans, come on. You won a trophy? You're in Champions League. And the top – and the seeding does matter, let's be honest. You get the weaker teams. You, and if Eddie's so hung up on the regular season placement, you're going to want to be playing the weaker team. So your seeding does matter a little. Home field advantage, uh, depending on when you played and what leg. Maybe not so much. But, I mean, your actual opponent matters. And, uh, dude, come on. I mean, World Cup's a straight knockout for uh, I, I I think you, it's – Is there a big controversy there? <laughs>
0: And I'm looking, I'm sure I'm not going to speak for Eddie, but I'm sure he would draw a line. Look, you say different competitions and they are. They're different competitions. MLS is all one competition, a regular season, 34 games, a marathon, travel and heat and bad surfaces and injuries and all those things that you have to navigate. And that's a better test of a team and a better measure of who's the best than a sprint to an MLS cup. And I, I don't disagree with him, but what the issue I take is that he, for me, he doesn't see it as the, as as two facets of the same competition where that's that's sort of how I view this okay yeah the the supporter shield isn't valued highly enough in mls part of that's the the lack of a balanced schedule it's very difficult to know you know it's, it's very difficult to say for sure that that the red bulls are the best team when they haven't played everybody the same number of times and we're not going to get a balanced that's, schedule we're just not
2: that's exactly why we need playoffs uh, i mean if you're not going to have a balanced schedule which is going to be impossible going forward as the league continues to to expand you need playoffs anyway so uh just to reinforce that point yeah look but i uh, i I, I, I wanted to touch on barber uh and the nwsl teams yes i i mean uh, how far down the road is he talking because i mean a lot of if we're to believe everything they're pumping out of the MLS uh, front office Uh, not every team is really going to be viable to be propping up NWSL teams, which, let's be honest, probably aren't all that profitable.
0: No, (laughs) no. There's any
2: profit at all, maybe in Portland. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I I have a three-month-old daughter now, and I would love for a uh, Philly women's team to come up. But, I mean, to be pressing... Uh, this agenda on MLS teams. I'm not sure
0: that's the Well I'm not sure call. I'm not sure he's pressing an agenda. I'm thinking he's just saying that the opportunity is out there. Now there, there are other things in this uh, in this interview that I think are not necessarily more important but more more of the moment and one of them is uh the discussion about NYCFC and, and Grant Wall says you pushed hard for the second MLS team in the New York area. NYCFC did well attendance wise in its first year. There's buzz in the city on the field, it struggled and fired, fired its coach. There hasn't been any stadium progress. What's your view? He goes on and talks about relevancy in the, in the community and capturing the fan base and averaging 29,000 um, and, and some of the struggles that they've had. On the stadium front, Stadium projects are difficult. We know that because we've just completed our 15th. We'll soon have 20. Every single one of them is hard. It took us 10 years to get out via stadium done, so it doesn't frustrate me that we don't have an immediate plan for NYCFC. What I'm encouraged by is how much time they're spending working on it. They are fully committed to it. They wouldn't have had a team if they didn't have that commitment, and we'll continue to work hard with them and the city of New York and landowners to find the right site. I'll tell you that that the Man City folks are very passionate and committed MLS owners. I speak to them all the time. Farron Sor- Soriano is a very influential member of our board in a very short period of time. They're terrific. He talks about, and then he says, uh, okay, so to, then Grant Wall says, and you're okay if NYCFC is in Yankee Stadium for five years or more, or five more years. And Garber says, I don't know how many years they'll be in Yankee Stadium. As a temporary solution, it's fantastic, and nearly 30,000 ga- uh, 30, fans a game is pretty cool. That, that's not enough for me. Like, that's Come on, really? Like that, That's as far as we're yeah, going here?
2: And I listen to you all the time and I know that's not enough for you. Honestly, New York plays by a different set of rules and that's the reality of it. I mean, if they're getting 30,000 in Yankee stadium, I I know the sight lines probably suck. I haven't been up there for a game yet, but I I know it's not ideal. You don't want to be sharing or playing on a baseball field. It's not going to be the best uh, quality in terms of the stadium, but, New York is such a monster that having the second team there, especially in the city limits, I, I think that's worth that five, little you, bit of effort. Come on, Mike, I mean, five. And especially the money that Man City brings. I mean, uh, I mean, even bringing back Knicks, they're going to be just trotting in superstar after superstar on that team. Whether it gels or not is is a new point because
3: All right. All right. when they
2: bring in more stars to New York city, it's, it's a destination city and it's going to bring more eyeballs to the league and more money, uh, in general. Okay. So Fair enough, Mike. I, I think I appreciate it's it. a calculated risk.
0: Okay. Hey, look, I, again, I just think five years, that's a ridiculous. Thanks for the call, Mike. appreciate it. That's a ridiculous amount of time. And I don't know, that's, that's not Garber saying they will be in Yankee Stadium in five years, but we haven't seen any real movement at all. And I know that some of what's going to happen in New York has to happen behind the scenes, but it's just, again, Trevor says if they keep drawing great crowds, who cares? It's, it's still... Okay. I mean, maybe that's all that matters. Great crowds, there. that's all that matters. It doesn't matter that they're playing in a baseball venue. It doesn't matter that the Yankees are every year going to kick up a fight about this. It doesn't matter that the, uh, the venue is terrible for television. It doesn't matter. that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm asking. I don't, I'm don't. i not necessarily saying one or the other. I'm asking. Uh, by the way, just to throw this in, I have no idea whether or not this is going to go anywhere, but Brian Dunseth on Twitter favorited this. He, uh, he took a screenshot of a story about that Chinese investment in um, in city football group uh 265 million pounds uh with the 265 million pounds the city group has cash to invest independent of Mansour's royal wealth which they could spend building the new stadium required for New York City the MLS franchise required 2 years ago so if you bring that amount of money to the table, you might be able to get something done. But again, we're talking about limited land availability and red tape in New York City. It's going to make it very difficult. I, I want here's why it matters because I want it to happen because NYCFC in their own building on the island or, or, well, in the city of New York in one of the five boroughs or one of the four boroughs taking out Staten Island is a massive thing for MLS. Yeah. 30,000 at Yankee Stadium is big too, but come on. We know that a stadium, a glittering new, brand new, fantastic state stadium in New York featuring an MLS team is going to be something special. That's why we want to see it. All right. That's going to do it for soccer morning on a Wednesday. Thanks to everybody who called in. You guys are all brilliant. Thanks to Patrick Golden from Massive Report. Go find him on Twitter, GoldenMR. Go follow, go find our friend David Cartledge as well. Cart, uh, David, excuse me, J A C A. Fantastic stuff on La Liga today. We'll be back tomorrow with the Thursday edition of Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. See you then.